You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena, the parochial vicar of St. Anne's Parish in Butte, Montana, and chaplain of Butte Central Catholic Schools. Enjoy. Since the dawn of time, we as humans have yearned for immortality. We've sought it in every possible direction. Even Friedrich Nietzsche, certainly no Christian thinker, expressed it beautifully, saying, All joy wills eternity, wills deep, deep eternity. Death is our enemy. It's the last enemy. It's the most formidable of enemies. And we instinctively fight it. And so we've always had some idea of immortality. We know we're not just our bodies. That can't be it. Ancient Greece, they had Hades, which was a fairly similar idea to the idea of Sheol in Israel, where when we die, our, our souls don't die. They're not mortal in the same way our bodies are. But there certainly wasn't a pleasant idea of what happened after this world. You know, it was a sort of shadowy, watery underworld that was pretty miserable to be in. It's a sort of shadow life. Not the fullness of life that we live within our bodies. Even the psalmist says in one of the earlier psalms, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any that go down into silence, but we bless the Lord from, time, from this time forth and forevermore. Yet the tradition throughout time began to develop, and as we came to know the Lord, we came to hope for more than just a shadowy, watery afterlife. A later psalm says, My body also dwells secure, for you do not give me up to Sheol, nor let your godly ones see the pit. So there's this further development. And even further, in, in one of the later books in Wisdom, if you've been to a certain amount of funerals, you've probably heard this reading from Wisdom, when the writer says, The souls of the just are in the hand of God, and no torment shall touch them. In the eyes of the foolish, they seem to have died, and they're going from us to be utter destruction, but they are in peace. And so we see the beginning of a theology of heaven, of the Lord taking us somewhere after this world that is actually full of hope. But the great turning point, really the turning point from that Christianity took from all other religions of the world, when those in the West, kind of under the Platonic philosophy or the Stoic philosophy, would have rejected this, and those in the East would have rejected it under, you know, the, under Buddhism and Hinduism, we began to believe in the resurrection of the dead. That there was a promise that we would rise in our bodies. Not in our bodies that we have right now, but in some other way. But that our body would be involved in it. And that's totally unique uh, to Judaism and Christianity. But we see it first in the, in the prophet Daniel, and then further in our Old Testament reading today. In Daniel it says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And that's the theological framework that we have for our first reading today. In Maccabees which is only about 160, 170 years before the coming of Christ. 
So it's not that old of a book. You see these seven sons with their formidable mother suffering incredible tortures for the law, a willingness to die for the law, which really is dying for the Lord was really what provoked this idea that there has to be something more than just a a watery Sheol as a reward for those who are willing to die for the Lord. These brothers suffer terrible fates. And the other talks about the younger brother sticking his tongue out, willing to have his tongue cut out, then his hands and feet cut off, and then they're scalped, and then they're cooked in a pan. It's crazy. And their mother looks on the whole time and says, don't you give in to their demands. You die for the law. I didn't raise weak sons. Which is pretty awesome. It's a tough mom. So the reading ends with the fourth son proclaiming, I choose to die at the hands of men and to cherish the hope that God gives of being raised up again. But for you, there will be no resurrection to life. So there's a, by this time, there's a firm tradition of resurrection. That's what we hope for. Resurrection of our own bodies. And that tradition flows into the New Testament, and we see it everywhere. We see it especially in Paul, but we see it in the Gospels, and especially the Gospel today. When the Sadducees, who are the only group left, who don't believe in the resurrection of the body, are challenging Jesus. They're trying to trap him with their words. And so they raise in to him this dilemma of the seven the seven husbands of one wife, and whose wife will it be in heaven? And so he batters away their argument, saying that heaven isn't like this world, uh, that marriage is a sacrament, the love of marriage points to the love that we will have with God in heaven. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to have the exact same relationship, but there's not going to be marriage in heaven in the same way that there is in this world. Uh, Those relationships won't look the same, so it won't, in a sense, be an issue but that there will be a resurrection of the body. So he affirms the tradition, but then he takes it further. He, kind of, he gives it, in a sense, its final development. And he does so with his own life. So he dies, and he is raised from the dead. That's the final development. There's really only two ways we can go about thinking about eternal life in this world. The first is to follow the sort of Eastern tradition of Buddhism, where... We see the world as the problem. The physical world is the problem. And we often feel that way. It's, it's pretty reasonable to feel that way. It seems like whenever there's suffering, it's our body that's causing the suffering. Whether it's just in go- growing old, or whether it's in the temptations that we face, they seem like they're coming straight from our bodies. Uh, whether that's temptation toward passion or toward anger, uh, or temptations of the flesh, or even just temptations towards laziness and sloth. They all seem to be, have their source in our body. So it's easy to think that this is the problem. And if we just get rid of this, then the problem's taken care of. And the problem is the world. You know, nature is trying to kill us all the time. That's what it feels like. So the Buddhist tradition is that we need to abolish the thirst for being, which is the thirst for the things of this world. And so we reject those. And we trend toward the spiritual. And so heaven is something that's purely spiritual. But Christianity takes us in exactly the opposite direction. In the direction of a thirst for the Lord, who saw the goodness of the world he had created so so much that he 
took a body upon himself and came into the world as a man. And so it's not in sort of embracing the world in its, in its evil aspects, but in lifting the world up and redeeming it. Making the body back into what it was originally supposed to be, which was a good and beautiful thing. And so we believe in the resurrection of the body. And Jesus is our forerunner. And the Jewish people didn't see a forerunner coming. They just thought that there was going to be one resurrection at the end of time. Everybody was resurrected. They didn't see the possibility of God himself coming and showing us what a taste of what that was going to be for us. And so that's why Paul says it was a stumbling block for the Jews. And then for the Greeks, it's confusing because they take the sort of Eastern position where they see the body as a sort of evil thing. Uh, Stoicism kind of ruled the day in, in Jesus' time. And the Stoics preached the suppression of all of our passions and all of our desires and a detachment from the world. Uh, so they didn't see uh, the resurrection as a good thing. We know our body's fallen. You know, we, we have that experience daily. Uh, but we also know that our redemption is at hand, that Christ showed us what we were to be, that he won the final victory against death and against our fallen bodies, uh, and that we will be raised up. For our world today, the idea of resurrection is just as confusing as it's always been, even for us Christians. Sometimes it's awkward to talk about it. Because do we, we don't want to appear as fools as Paul did, uh, when he spoke in the Areopagus and he, and he was speaking of the coming of Christ and people were listening in and, and then finally he mentions the resurrection of the body and some of them mock him and some of them say, ah, why don't you come back tomorrow and talk about that? That one's a confusing one. And then some of them realizing that thirst for, for eternal life that we all have saw just how beautiful and true that that preaching was, and they became Christians. So we preach it confidently, hoping that in our preaching people will recognize that their deep longing for immortality, for eternal life, is satisfied in the resurrection of the body. That that is the truth that is to be revealed by God. And it's a beautiful truth, so we can be confident in it. Because the deep sadness of humanity is that all joy comes to an end, and it seems to come to an end too quickly. Um, it's only in the resurrection that we see that joy being eternal. And so we can be confident in that as Christians. And we preach it with great joy.